Love Hurts is going to be doing a live show in New York City on Valentine's Day. So bring your partner, bring a first date, or just bring yourself. There'll be more details soon, but put February 14th at 8.30pm at the Magnet Theatre on your calendar. Hope to see you there! The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter. But that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Kelly Dunham. Kelly is a storyteller and comedian living in New York City. A few years ago, Kelly fell for someone who lived on the other side of the country. When that person's cancer came back, Kelly moved across the country to be with her and learn just how hard loving somebody can be. Hey, Kelly, welcome. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for being here and getting ready to just share tough stories. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten used to it over the years. Right, now right, just, right. It exactly. just comes yeah. out. I'm a comic that makes people cry. It's, that's my thing. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a good brand to have. <laughs> <laughs> tough. It's specific, at least. Yeah, yeah. You have a niche that you found. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What, what did you want to talk with me about today? Uh, so uh, there was a time um, in 2007 where uh, my friends were... Anytime I came near a vat, not a vat, a container of Cozy Shack chocolate pudding, they tried to keep me away from it, like, with the kind of physical demonstration that you would normally see in an action movie, right? Like, no! <laughs> and they weren't being, like, fat fatphobic, trying to get me to go on a diet, and I wasn't lactose intolerant, and they were like, hey, we share an apartment, please don't eat that. It was um, because... Uh, up. Chocolate pudding had been what uh, my partner used to end her life in 2007. So how that happened was, um, so I was uh, living in Philadelphia and I went to a queer conference because, you know, queers like to go to conferences. That's our thing. <laughs> we like to have conferences to get together and be queer. And um, I was uh, standing in the lobby of the Newark airport, um, uh, Hilton, and um, this woman came up to me and I had a little thing on my a little nameplate that said, uh, Kinky Polly Switch looking for you. And she's like, oh, Kinky Polly Switch looking for you. I'm looking for you too. And I was like, oh, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> uh, and then she was like, just meet me afterwards. So, uh, so I met her at like, you know, a party afterwards and we, you know, had like this amazing night. Um, so when I got ready, she kicked me out cause she was like, Oh, she's a burlesque dancer. That's an important part. And so uh, she was performing burlesque and I was doing stand-up comedy at the at the queer conference. And so anyway, so she kicked me out at like two o'clock in the morning. She's like, burlesque queens need their beauty rest. <laughs> uh, so I um, before I left, I was trying to be all slick. And I was like, um, I'm just wondering if burlesque queens wake up with glitter on their lips. And she said... Uh, well, maybe if you stick around and you're lucky, you'll find out, which is like, still go on, little boy. Yeah, like, leave for now. We can, you can figure <laughs> that out later. that later. Um, so, I mean, considering, so she was living in San Francisco. I was living in Philadelphia. Uh, considering um, that we stuck around a lot. Like, we made, and you know, we built a relationship with, um, you know, uh, calls and <laughs> inst AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah. And... Uh, Maybe it was pre-Skype, but like yeah. phone calls, texts, whatever. Um, so you're just like across two sides of the coast, just right. keeping in touch after a meeting at this right, conference. Right, yeah. And we kind of, you know, we kind of like felt built, like we kind of started to fall in love. Um, but it wasn't really, that's how we built the relationship, right? There wasn't really any sense of urgency. Yeah. Um, 
So, but, uh, so our first weekend that we spent together, um, not at the conference, but the first weekend we spent together non-conference wise, um, she told me that she had a history of ovarian cancer, but, um, the way she talked about it, it seemed like, oh, that's just a history, you know, like anyone could have a history of whatever. Um, but three months into our relationship, uh, the ovarian cancer that had been in remission returned and she got really sick. And at first it was kind of slow and then it got really fast. And then what had been like our, you know, sexy late time, late night conversations, we were still talking late at night, but instead of, you know, sexy times, it was like, well, uh, can you talk me through until I can take this pain medication or like, oh, I, you know, this chemo is going to make me have to go throw up or even, you know, um, how much fighting does like make sense to do? Like what makes life worth living and worth fighting for? Yeah. You're suddenly having like much deeper. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, tell me what you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, it was like totally different. I remember I said that to her once and she was like, I'm wearing a fucking vomit covered t-shirt. I was like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Changing the topic. Um, it became really clear that, uh, if we were going to have any kind of, you know, relationship, if we were going to ever live together, uh, we should probably do it sooner rather than later because it looked like later might not even happen. So I packed up my, you know, I quit my day, gave notice at my day job, packed all my stuff up. And before I left, I got this phone call from her and she's like, uh, hi, I have kind of a big favor to ask you. And she was... Not a person. She was inclined. She felt very entitled to ask for very big favors, right? She's like a very much a diva. And so the fact that there was hesitation in her voice scared me a little bit. Like, what the hell is she going to ask? And she's like, okay, so instead of you moving to San Francisco, how about we move to Portland, Oregon? And I was like, oh, that kind of is a big favor. Because, um, you know, I was a nurse, but I was also doing the stand-up comedy thing in San Francisco. Yeah, there's a scene there. Yeah, that would have been a step up in terms of, compared to like being, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm the most well-known lesbian comic in Philadelphia. Oh. <laughs> um, but Portland, Oregon, especially, that was like 2006, 2007. It was um, it pretty much, there was no scene at all at that time. And so I was like, oh, that is a big, um, that is a big favor. And, you know, the way she explained it is, you know, San Francisco was a bad place to be poor and sick. It's so expensive even then. Um, and her disability payment would go further then and then also she had this like big huge group of uh of folks who wanted um who wanted to help her there like her some former lovers and you know queers we all have our former lovers as part of our ongoing extended care system so um so you said you know if you're jumping off a cliff it doesn't really matter where you land yeah. so i said okay sure <laughs> yeah san francisco uh, and portland it's yeah it's all it's gonna be all the same yeah. here for like you know death camp 2007 so, uh, I moved out to be with her and we built kind of a, um, a life. We, where we landed when I jumped off the cliff was this converted Hare Krishna temple. Um, it wasn't even converted. I'm saying converted, but it's actually a partly converted Hare Krishna temple, um, in one of Portland's, uh, Northeast neighborhoods. Um, it still had the big Hare Krishna sign out front. So like Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And, um, it was like 1200 square feet. The top floor was 600 square feet of just a big room, and it had a stage in front. And they had everything was painted bright gold and um, or gold and bright orange inside and out. And there were two sets of stairs to nowhere that didn't lead anywhere. <laughs> um, and uh, Heather, as soon as she saw it, she was like, "Oh, my bed's going up there." So of course, like the burlesque queen had her bed on literally on, on the, the stage. stage. <laughs> like of course. Um, and so. You know, we built a life, even though, like, cancer was a part of our lives. Like, we really built a life. Like, we um, we had, like, tons of friends over. I remember one time we had this Halloween party. In October, we had a Halloween party. And she um, 
invited 70 of her friends. I didn't even know she'd invited so many of her friends. And um, she was actually in bed when it started. And um, she's like kind of arose from her sick bed um, to have a, ho- a costume contest where she gave away things from her house. And she was like, <laughs> what do I need these things for? I'm dying. And I was like, well, there's two of us here. Why are you giving away shit from her house? But it was, you know, mm-hmm. nice to see her. And uh, oh, we went to, um, we went, we saved our pennies and we went on a, uh, pilgrimage to the um, healing waters, allegedly healing waters of Lords France. Um, and we're both kind of lapsed Catholics, so we weren't sure how ironic we were being. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there was uh, a part of you that was like, well, if this works. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I was like, whatever works, yeah, yeah. that'll be fine. And uh, we made out like in the grotto where Mary first appeared to St. Bernadette. <laughs> um, and we did like hay bale uh, mazes and we, you know, we built life. It was really beautiful. Um, but then, uh, around Christmas, she was getting much sicker and she was starting having to have more of these conversations of like, what makes life worth living and worth fighting for. And at one point I called from the grocery store and I said, uh, you know, I asked her like, do you need me to bring you anything? And she said, how about a quarter pound of the will to live? And I was like, oh, you know how it is. I'm at Trader Joe's and they only had organic and now they're all out. She was like, damn, I had a coupon too. Um, so assisted suicide, um, is legal in Oregon and, um, she had already begun the process, uh, to talk with folks about, about that. Um, and so we had a preliminary meeting with the assisted suicide liaison, Barbara Glidemore, uh, who was just amazing. That's why I still use her real name. Um, so we, we all met in this conference room in an out-of-the-way wing of OHSU, the hospital where Heather got care. And so Barbara Glidemore, you know, there's like 15 queers gathered around the table with Heather. And Barbara Glidemore's, you know, explaining um, the process. And she said, you know, like, this is not for everyone. This is like, this is actually something that few people end up using. Um, But this is for people who really want to maintain control of every aspect of their death. And we were all like crumple up paper, throw them over our hand because we we're like, of course, that is Heather. Heather wanted yeah, to like, like maintain. This is it. Well, Heather always wanted to maintain country control. Um, so the process is, uh, so first you have to do an oral, no, two oral requests and then a written request. And then you have to find a doctor who will write the prescription for the lethal medication. And then you have to find a pharmacist to fill it. And... Um, once that's all done, you're just kind of in a holding pattern until, like, you feel like you're ready to use it. Um, many people, because it's so complicated, many people never even finish, like, the paperwork. They die beforehand. Um, and many people who get the medication never use it. Just sometimes just knowing they have that out is yeah. actually quite a... It's like 30 or 40% get the medication, never use it. Um, but <laughs> Heather had... Uh, so I was kind of hoping that's what it would be, but Heather had other plans, so... Um, one day in early February, I was sleeping all curled up next to her, and I heard her on the phone like, you better come, you better come, I'm doing it tomorrow. And I was like, um. Oh, just kind of like out of nowhere, like <laughs> it's going to be tomorrow. Yeah, so I like tapped her on the shoulder, and I was like, uh, you know, um, the rule is if you decide you're going to use assisted suicide to end your life, you're supposed to tell the person you're in bed with before you call the whole world. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was the rule. <laughs> uh, and so then I got a belt bed and started helping her with logistics. Um, and so, you know, she was a little like overambitious to say that it would be done the next day, you know, whether you're, um, 
you know, like trying to get your property reassessed or, you know, trying to uh, get your DMV license renewed. Um, you know, government bureaucracy yeah, can just, only be rushed. Just like paperwork. <laughs> paperwork, yeah. You have to fill out triplicate forms even if you want to kill yourself in America. So it wasn't, but that was hard. It was She was ready and that was hard. Um, in fact. Yeah, because it was like, I want this to happen tomorrow. And then it was like, well, this just can't happen yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it won't happen tomorrow. So that was kind of an unpleasant couple of days. In fact, the day, the Tuesday, um, she woke up and she was like, looked at me and she was like, oh, you're still here. And I was like, what? And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. It just means that I'm not, you know, that I'm still alive. And I was like, of all the things, like of all the bed complaints I've gotten, uh, yeah. like snoring, eating Pop-Tarts in bed, leaving crumbs, like, um, you are still here, which means I still exist, is like definitely the most like existentially like dark and deep um yeah. bad complaint i've ever had and so for you i mean i know i guess like you moved across the country being like knowing that death was an option and probably like something that was going to happen but now it's like about to happen like how how are you feeling in all of that right like, i mean that's a good question and um i think i was a little bit still like wait what yeah um i mean i'd known all along that it's just seemed pretty you know i mean there's <laughs> some point like in january where um she was like, you should tell my story. You should, like, write a one-person... After I'm dead, you should write a one-person show about my life. And I was like, okay, but I thought you were just going to keep trying different chemos until they found something that worked. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's nice. That That's a nice thought. You just keep thinking that. Yeah, so you had a little bit more, like, optimistic view of, like, yeah, this is going to work. We're going to find a way through this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there was some... I was hoping, yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, she was talking very frankly about it and she'd already started on hospice, you know, in yeah. the, before the end of the year. But, you know, you always think also, I thought that she might not choose assisted suicide. I okay. thought it might. Yeah, um, it just, yeah, it might like naturally. Yeah, take its course yeah. or whatever. But that that wasn't what she wanted. And so, um, so that Tuesday morning, you know, everything was kind of in place uh, about three days after our first, like the conversation. And uh so Heather had wanted to die surrounded by love, and so all of Queer Portland was in our house. There's a whole just big group of people, like in the uh, Hare Krishna temple. In the Hare Krishna temple, right? Uh, so it was like um, her friend, like two of her. She called them heart sisters. One had uh, flown up from San Francisco, and then another one was wearing like thigh high leather boots and um, a leather bustier for the occasion, because you know Heather was a burlesque queen, and um, oh her massage therapist who i called woo woo carla who um liked to talk about kale and she said while we were like all gathered around there was a cat that kind of just belonged to the house and she was like i think the cat is doing energy work for you guys and the cat was like licking his balls for 45 minutes i was like okay energy work <laughs> um and then there were uh like a bunch of um radical fairies who came in and they were doing all these like reiki treatments on everybody and um, Heather's biological sisters had come, um, including one who was a federal law enforcement agent, which was like an amazing, uh, <laughs> an amazing addition to the mix. Like, just like, hey, let's Around do an exchange program of like the queers and the federal law enforcement agency. <laughs> so, um, you know, we all kind of took hands of like being together and then like losing it. And um, the pothead smoked a lot of some pot again. Great. A great mix with the federal yeah, law yeah, enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's letting a lot of stuff go that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's just like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and, you know, I drank my own weight in Diet Mountain Dew. And, mm -hmm. um, and then we all went around and um, said our goodbyes to Heather. And uh, 
Like, we'd say our goodbyes, and then she gave every because she was, like, you know, very bossy. She gave everybody a little bit of advice. Um, so her advice to me was, you know, always accept help from people who offer it to you after I die, and then also that I should try on my clothes before I buy them, um, <laughs> and they'll fit better, which turned out to be very true. <laughs> Both those things were very yeah, good, good advice. advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she had asked me to... Um, so she had a central line, right, like a IV line going directly into her chest. And so um, she had asked me to give her Zofran, which is the anti-nausea medication, through that central line so she wouldn't throw up. That's part of the process of yeah. the um, the life-ending medication. And so I did that. And while I was doing that, I was singing the Snoopy song, which is, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, that was, you know, a song that we'd remembered from, I used to do like a strip tease to it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny striptease song. Yeah, it wasn't Jim's so sexy. Grawley, like. <laughs> um, yeah, at one point she asked me to do it in front of her sisters, and I was like, it's a striptease. I can't, I can't yeah, do like, a striptease not... in front of your sisters. So she was like, well, improvise. So I just added a lot more clothing. So I was stripping, yeah. but I only got down to like five layers or whatever. I'm just doing the Charlie Brown like hands. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then she said, you know, you're doing that for me, right? Because, you know, I'm okay. And I did. I did know that she was okay. And that's what made the whole thing work for yeah. me. Um, like, I would say that, like, helping somebody I love end their life was not something that I, was on my list of things to do. It wasn't on my bucket list. But because she was so sure, um, that yeah. made it. Like, you knew that this is what she wanted. She was going on in her terms. And, like, that's what made it okay, even though you were losing this person that Right. You and loved. having to participate in it, you know. Yeah. So that was really the thing. It's like, okay, well, and now I understand, you know, and with some years behind it, like, really, and also watching other people die and stuff, how much a gift that was. Because so many people, when they die, are not that clear. And um, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about end-of-life stuff. So for her to be that clear, like, I am going out like this. I am ready. I mean, actually, when she, like, when we brought in the bull. So you're supposed to put, the guidelines say to put the, um, it's like 90 pills in. Jeez. So much. It's like, it's very, like, I had my cat put to sleep last night. And I was like, why is it so much easier, like, the cat putting the cat to sleep than, you know, like, euthanasia for, not euthanasia, but assisted suicide for a person is, like, way more complicated than it is for animals. Um, so you, so you're supposed to put it in water and applesauce so you can absorb it quickly. But Heather's like, my last taste in my mouth will not be applesauce. And so <laughs> we mixed it up into Cozy Shack chocolate pudding. Um, and so when we took the bowl into her, she actually, like, grabbed it away from us. She was, like, so, you know, eager to be done. So because of that, it was, like, so, it was so clear. And it was, like, really terrible. Um, but it was also so clearly what she wanted and that was kind of the gift of it you know? yeah yeah where you're it's like it's this tough thing to be like seeing this happen but you also know it's the right thing because that. it was what she yeah, wanted right yeah. and when people argue i mean i'm not a huge proponent of assisted suicide i mean i have some reservations about it because certainly if insurance companies could just have us kill ourselves instead of if we're cheaper to kill ourselves and to have them pay for treatment yeah that's a whole weird yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. then you're uh, getting into yeah yeah so it's scary you know so i'm not like one of those i'm not like i'm not out in the streets with my yay assisted suicide. everyone should do this <laughs> right yeah. exactly um but it was certainly right for her and i'm glad for that reason you know that she had that opportunity um Part of what it taught me is just that these are important conversations to have. You yeah. know, like when people are like, oh, you know, one of the things when um, there was a big case around this, 
um, a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, that's so selfish. And I was like, well, why don't, I mean, people recognize that you can be selfish on your birthday. On your birthday, everyone has to like, <laughs> we take children to Chuck E. Cheese. You know what I mean? Like, obviously that is an act of child selfishness because no adult wants to go to Chuck E. Cheese, but we recognize that on your birthday, you get to be a little selfish. So like, why can't you do it on your death day? Like, why don't you get to be selfish about the way you go out? Like, make the choices based on what you need and not with um, the people around you. Yeah, totally. So. Man, yeah. And so... Yeah, and then, so that she ate the pudding. It happened. And then she died, and then it Jeez. was really awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of walked out from the curtain, and um, there's like a big group of people there, and they all just kind of gave me a hug. Yeah, and those ended up being my people, you know. Um, which is really amazing that I, you know, kind of from the stoic Germanic farm family, and hadn't really been, you know, the idea of letting people help me is kind of, you know usually sign of weakness. And so her insistence of like letting people help her and also that, you know, she should get to do things her own way that people should be supportive of her actually was really good modeling for me to learn like, okay, let these people take care of me after Heather died. Yeah. So I feel like that was a really, that was a really beautiful gift. And still some of those folks I'm really, really close with even now. So Yeah. So you found a community through her right, too. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was part of her um like legacy like part of what she left me she didn't have a bunch of money to leave me but she had she called her group of caregivers the love troopers which she was like whatever i made it up when i was on opiates i'm sorry but uh <laughs> i was feeling like the love troopers were my were my inheritance so yeah it's kind of beautiful i mean that's still like to me that's such a for you in that first moment right where you like you meet each other and then you're like across the country and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm going to drop everything in my life and go be with this person. It's like such a big moment, right? I guess it's like, and maybe it wasn't at the, at the time. I mean, it was. Like, I had is... been living in Philadelphia for a decade. And um, and I like I was living on a boat, which was like my, my childhood dream. <laughs> no, living on a boat in Philadelphia during the winter. I don't know why that was a childhood <laughs> dream, but it was. And, you know, working at this job that I really liked and I felt very, it was like the most stable my life had been. And so I think there was a way, I also feel like that was a gift too, because I would have stayed at that do- job for a lot longer. Yeah. And it was really time for, I've been doing the job for 10 years. You know, that's slightly ridiculous for somebody who's in their 30s to be doing a job for 10 <laughs> that years. That they just like don't like. <laughs> I mean, I like the job, yeah. but it was uh, like, you know, I'd been doing comedy, but I was afraid to like do it full time. And it's actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, after Heather died, I actually did full-time for a while. I'm to have a J job now because of insurance, but um, it really kind of moved me along in a way that nothing else would have, and that it was, you know, like one of those things, I had this little thing on my wall that said, like, I believe, you know, that this, you know, that making this choice matters no matter what happens. I believe that this is going to open me up, like tearing your life open and having to start over always leads to some things that you never would um, would anticipate, you know? And I think that's true. Like, I feel very lucky in my life that I've had these chances of, like, completely starting over. And they're like, okay, well, what do I really want in my life? You know, what's, um, what do I actually need and what's really important? So. Yeah, like, getting that kind of reset button in opportunity, like, in through opportunities, I guess, right? Because it's like, that was like, this was a new part of your life. And then once that part ended, it started this other part of your life. And I guess you just kept finding these new things through these moments. Right. Yeah, and that, um, you know, that it was, you know, really, really hard and terrible. And it took me way longer than I thought to, like, come back from it. But I can also say, like, ultimately, I feel, you know, lucky to have had the opportunity. And even if it hadn't turned out, if it would have been, I mean, turned out, right? Even if it, like, 
would have crashed and burned or whatever, I would say, like, well, I what else would I have done in that circumstance? I would have had to be, like, I had a friend who was like, man, if that would have happened to me, I would have had to run and hide and, like, just turn and run the other way. And I was like, well, I have to be a completely different kind of person in order yeah, to do that. Yeah, who know? you are as a person isn't the person who's going to run away and hide. That's yeah, just, like, just, not how it's, yeah, how it's you're not wired. How I'm wired. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't even, it didn't feel like an option. Um, and, you know, Heather really, like, tested me definitely as we were getting to know each other because she knew, like, if I was going to be around, that she needed to, that I needed to be. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like she was, that was something she mentioned early on and, and knowing mm-hmm. that, like, this is a part, a thing that could happen. And yeah. And putting that out to you and being like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you're the person who's not running away from that. Right. Yeah. And then that very much became reality. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you, did you, uh, they, they just put it out today, like, or yet yeah, this week. But like the moth just published the story with Elizabeth Gilbert. Do you know her? She like Oh yeah. She I like, just she's the one who wrote Eat, Eat Pray, Pray Love, right? Which I hated that book. I, and I like, haven't read it. But and I didn't but she told the story at like the Moth member show uh-huh. in November and I went to it. And it was it's very similar to this story. Cause her whole thing was like her girlfriend was dying of of cancer. I think it was cancer. Yeah, similar. Yeah, like just was having like something terminally ill, and it's it's a really funny story because the whole thing is like her being like, I have to be the strong one now. Like she's always been the strong one, and I have to be the strong one now. But the whole story is basically her being like, even though she was dying, she was still always the stronger person <laughs> in this relationship. Like she talks about the story where she, it's like it's a similar thing where she has like her past lovers come right right i just saw that on instagram and i was like wait i didn't even know because she was like used yeah, to be like very yeah, heterosexual yeah. <laughs> i was like wait what happened but yeah so she talks about how like she has her two previous lovers come and and all of a sudden like elizabeth gilbert is just like here with these two other and they're all and they're just, all like blonde and look exactly I the think, like yeah on yeah instagram, something I like saw that, that yeah. yeah and it's like they have this moment where she you know she like goes and checks on her in bed and she's like i think it's time like it's happening and so all three of them like get in this bed together with her kind of being like this is going to be our last moment with her she's she's on her way out and then she just wakes up and she's like what are all of you doing in my bed like why are these two here like why (laughs) and it's just such a funny story to be like yeah i don't know she did a really good job with it of just every time you're like Oh, yeah, this is the moment I have to be strong. And it's like, nope, she's still the stronger <laughs> one. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing all oh, this, Oh, yeah, Kelly. absolutely. I'm glad to share it with um, you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, if people do, if you have like a website or anything or yeah, stuff you want to plug. Yeah, it's Kelly with an I, Dunham, D-U-N-H-M dot com. And also follow me on Instagram because I'm just hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Got so much hilarious death stuff on Instagram. No, it's not all Some death stuff. good content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like so many grief memes that are hilarious <laughs> no i don't but that's people should follow me on instagram cool well thanks so much kelly all right absolutely thanks Mark. this is how we love this is how we fight for something that's right love hurts is produced hosted and edited by brian berlin theme music by mickey hommel Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. 
You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.